Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I am your host, Megan Hall, psychology grad student, spouse, mom, and advocate for change. On this podcast, I provide a space for women to share their stories. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today and enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, today I'm here with Nadine. Nadine Robinson is a visionary disruptor who inspires rebellious entrepreneurs and edge-walking leaders to explore their spirituality through their sexuality. By the way, just side note, when I read these bios, I'm like, oh my gosh, how do you guys craft this? Sounds so good. Mine's just like, I'm like a Care Bear stuck in a human's body. (laughs) So using her embodied sacred sexuality process, Nadine weaves the sexual with the spiritual, offering her clients opportunities for wild expansion and success. She curates mystical experiences for audacious, oh, I love that word, humans who are seeking the rare and the extraordinary. She is the number one international best-selling author of The Holistic Entrepreneur, Creating Success with the Medicine of Your Soul. A visionary nine-figure entrepreneur, mistress of the sacred, naked, and curator of the mystical adventure. See, I told you, I love it when you guys curate such things. <laughs> Nadine is blissfully married to the man of her dreams and spends her summers at her island home, frolicking naked on the beach with her three grandchildren. If you don't even look old enough to have grandchildren, what are you talking about? <laughs> Listen, I'll take all of those those feedback because someday everyone's gonna be like, oh, clearly you're the grandma, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, it's true. This is good things. I'm blessed to grow old, right? Yeah. Blessed to grow old. I yeah. mean, hopefully my 19-year-old daughter does not decide to have children anytime soon. But that she could, and then I would be a grandma too. I made yeah. my mom a grandma younger than I am right now. So, you know logically it's possible logically it's possible (laughs) hopefully in reality i'm not one for a while i'm only 36 i would like to wait until i'm like in my 40s before that happens but yes don't look old enough to be a grandma yeah thank you for having me yes thank you for coming on and like i said well i really love it when people craft such like i'm like all these fun words i get to say (laughs) So Nadine, people might be wondering, hearing that, like, uh, where did, how did you get into that? Like at some point in time, you had to come to terms with your own sexuality. Cause I mean, as women, no matter where we grow up in the world, there's some, you know, like issues there that we have to deal with. So please (laughs) tell us, enlighten us about your story. Well, it's funny where I grew up. I'm so I'm from Canada and in Canada, where I actually grew up is sort of considered similar to the United States, the Bible Belt of Canada. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't even so, know it existed. That was a thing in Canada, but you know, <laughs> it's, it exists. It's real. <clears throat> so it's white. It's uber conservative. It's ultra religious. And Wow. Uh, and, you know, we all know when you're growing up, your life is just normal. Your life is just your life. You don't have any litmus test. You're not comparing it. You're looking at your peers, but really we have no idea about right. what's out there. So I grew up, stay-at-home mom, dad who worked, Roman Catholic. 
And I just remember being so pissed going to church every Sunday and I couldn't be an altar boy. I was so mad. I'm like, right. Hey, I was Mary, baptized Catholic. So I guess yeah. Yeah. right. Mary is this venerated woman, but I can't even serve this crappy pr- priest in the backwoods of Alberta. Okay. I was mad. I was mad. My injustice sort of string was like vibrating, you know, and it was growing, <laughs> you know, I was like, this is garbage. And so you know, growing up, you know, everything's really normal, everything's really, but I had this sort of recognition about, you know, sort of the travesties against women. Mm. And of course, that's a really narrow, small, there's lots of travesties in the world. But for me, in my little weird little world, that was what showed up for me. And so, you know, it started me, I started being awake to those kind of injustices really early, right? Really, really early. Mm. Um, And, you know, of course, the Catholic church is bathed in sexuality mm-hmm. bathed in it because they're going to tell you what's not to do how you're going to go to hell how you're going to get into purgatory you know you're never going to get into heaven you know the virgin slut mother sh- whore shame story mary magdalene all of these stories mm-hmm. are rooted in sexuality so whether they like it or not the, ca- the catholics gave me this gorgeous pathway into sexuality <laughs> it, was, it was so shameful thank you catholic <laughs> Thank you, Pope John. I think it was John Paul at the time when I was a kid growing up. We went to see the Pope and we were good Catholics. So, you know, there was this level of that. And it just made me so attuned. I was so attuned to the injustices against women. I, you know, the, this was early sort of second second wave kind of feminism. You know, it was the late 70s, early 80s. Um, you know, I was 10 or 11 years old and I was like, this is bullshit, right? This is bullshit. The birth control pill had just come out, you know, Roe v. Wade had just passed in the States, you know, we were just kind of coming into that sort of level. And it just made me hyper aware of the injustices of against women, particularly around Mm -hmm. our sexuality and how it was controlled. Yeah. And now like we we're going backwards. (laughs) (sighs) You're like Roe v. Wade (sighs) just got passed. And I'm like, well, that just got removed. I know. Is that nuts? It is nuts. It's nuts. It's nuts. And and it's funny because it's sort of that same thing where we're watching women reawaken to it because honestly, I think so many of us took for granted sort of some of the, I'm going to use the words, I'm going to use my air quotes, freedoms that we had. Yeah. We were taking them for granted. And we were just kind of plopping along and, and, you know, living our lives and being good moms and having jobs and like, you know, crushing the corporate, you know, glass ceiling and, you know, women were doing all this stuff. But in behind, there was still this massive um, wave of people who still want to control our sexuality, our bodies and how we express it. Mm-hmm. And we got to smash that. We got to smash that. Yeah. That's part of what I want to do. Right. That's what I love about this. Yeah. You would see it like people can't see you, but you're, you could see it in your face. You're so lit up. You're like, yes, let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> or I'm like a social psychology researcher. So I'm like on that aspect. Yes, let's do this. <laughs> like, you know, I'm going to do a qualitative study all about the feelings about your sexuality. And, and I'm like, yes, I need you to do that work. Can you bring that forward? And then I'm going to talk about it. Right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I'm. It's amazing. So you're, you're like 10, 11, and you're just like, oh my gosh, like this, this is all going on. Well, then you're coming into puberty. Like, and that is a time that is a time. Yeah. That's the years where we go. Nadine went off the rails. 
I was naughty, naughty, naughty. You know, um, I was sneaking out. I was getting in trouble. I was drinking. I was, you know, doing drugs. I was exploring my sexuality. And my first sort of sexual experiences were actually with women. Um, and again, of course, you can imagine that, you know, the gays aren't allowed. You yeah. know, that's not allowed where I live, you know. Um, I don't think it was actually allowed anywhere at that time, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> in the late 80s, um, maybe in New York, and men were voguing. And that was like sort of it. You know, there were gay men in New York. There might have been one gay man in L.A. I'm just talking about how it was portrayed in cultural spheres, right? Right. You weren't gay. There wasn't people who were gay. But I was sort of like exploring with women. And things in my family were bad. Um, I was not getting along with my parents. I was really upset. I was begging them to send me to boarding school and it just wasn't going to happen. And so I got pregnant because when you're when you have a nice Roman Catholic mother, you know that she's going to throw you a nice big wedding and support you to get married. So I was 17 <laughs> and had a beautiful wedding. We got a car as a wedding gift and uh, moved with my then husband. He was going to university and we had a baby. So, you know, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty. Um, and it was really bad. I always told my kids, you know, uh, don't, uh, we don't, you can go to your friends for solutions, but you don't want 16 year old problem solving. You have to actually ask for other people to give you advice and suggestions because that was the, that was the solution of a 16 year old. You know, I was yeah. 17 when I had my daughter, but yeah, it was, uh, it wasn't, the, it wasn't the best, but through that, I kind of realized that, um, you know, I never came out, you know, I never came out as bi or whatever, or as a lesbian. I, yeah. I was like, who the hell? I don't give a crap ass what any of these losers think. These are people I don't respect. These are teachers that are hypocrites. These are people mm -hmm. who are telling me to pray to God and then going and watching porn on their computers and getting fired from their jobs or they're cheating on their wives or they're beating their kids. I mean, there's a level of like, I'm not actually, uh, uh, there's no, um, congruency here. These aren't people that I respect and that actually have any care about what they think about me, which was probably incredibly supportive, but also probably really damaging because it meant that I didn't really have a lot of connection to the adults around me. Yeah, that makes sense. And so I can relate so much. I only came out as bisexual like a couple of years ago because I grew up upstate New York. People may not realize there's a part of New York that is very conservative very religious. That's where I'm from. <laughs> yeah. So it was okay in my time for girls to like, quote unquote, experiment. It was not okay to be a lesbian or bisexual. That was absolutely frowned upon. And so it took me years. I mean, I had told my husband that I what I was with women, you know, before him, because my ex had told me I was disgusting and he couldn't stand me because like he found out I had been with women. So I was like, I'm going to knock you off right now, man, if you can't accept this, because it's going to come out sooner or later. And so yeah. when I finally officially came out, like, I think it was two years ago, my spouse was like, yeah, I knew <laughs> yeah. it was kind of obvious all these stories you told me about being with women. So I can totally relate. I mean, when you have people who aren't going to accept it, they, they frown upon it. They judge it. You're like, why should I even tell you? Yeah. Yeah. And too, you know, I don't know about you, but for me, that was a big time when pornography was so becoming so much more common. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, it wasn't the internet. It was magazines and people renting movies at the video store. Right. 
But the, all of that sexuality was focused on the only reason that a woman could have sex with another woman was because to please the male gaze. Yep. That's it. And that's still, I think that's still true. That's my own opinion, but you know, so I was, I was out for that. I'm like, I'm not interested in any of this. So, you know, it, it was a, you know, some people would say it was experimenting. Um, but really I just knew that this was my, you know, the way that I moved in the world sexually. Yeah. 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 You kind of innately know, cause I mean, even if you don't want to admit it, cause I didn't want to admit it. Cause like that was not acceptable, but like, you know, <laughs> my, when I came out like officially, my sister was like, bad damn time. I knew like, <laughs> like she's like, I knew when you were a teenager and yeah. she's like, thank you for finally admitting it. Whoa. <laughs> so, like people, I mean, people that close to me knew she's like, it was kind of obvious. Like, I'm yeah. sorry. It wasn't obvious to you. And I was like, well, it's because how we were brought up and she's like, yeah, I understand that. Yeah. I can totally see that. Yeah. 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 So I can see how like uh, the adults around you, it would be hard to find that support. And, and, and back then you probably didn't even know anybody who was like bisexual. Nobody no. talked about it. No, not at all. It's completely hidden. Yeah. And so like, you don't have anybody you can go to and say, like, it, the internet was not a thing. You couldn't go on the internet and find people who were like you, like it was just. I, you knew that this is who you were, but there was nobody there that you could say like, oh, you too. Yeah. And you know, where I live, just to add it into the context, it's important for people to know there was a high school teacher that was well known in the area who was teaching that the Holocaust was, a, was fake until oh. the early nineties. And the last cross burnings were in 1993 in where I lived cross burnings. Yeah. I mean, we think we think of these things as, you know, this localized area, but there is that kind of radical extremism everywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. And people are, you know, have strong feelings about it. So I just knew I needed to get the hell out of there. That was all I knew. I didn't, you know, I knew that. So, you know, once I had my first baby and then I was sort of involved in the healthcare system because our daughter had a bit of a... <clears throat> congenital anomaly she was born with uh, something that needed to be corrected with surgery at birth and so then i was in the system and i was like holy shit, you guys suck too you hate women how they mm -hmm. talked about my body the way i was treated when i gave birth the way we were treated in the neonatal intensive care unit i was like oh this is actually systemic this wasn't just because I lived in a crappy town. I was in a university town where there was, you know, academics and research and we were at this hospital and you're at people who are telling me they're progressive. And I'm just like sitting there, 17 years old, breastfeeding my newborn going, you guys are full of shit. You hate women. Science hate women. Healthcare hates women. The policies are hate. Are, you know, I just, it was embedded and that put me on the path of becoming a midwife. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. And yeah. that was not a really a thing back then no, there, was, there was no school there was no college there was no university for midwifery um i had to find a a distance learn you guys and this meant like packages of paper photocopied with lessons on them mailed to me from the united states i would write the answers in or write an essay by hand and a, and a pen and mail it back that's how i went through to do midwifery school 
So I was writing these, you know, going through all the clinical documentation, all of the research, the evidence, going through all these things, the theory of midwifery, the foundational principles. And then I had to find midwives where it was unregulated in Alberta, in most of Canada, actually, at that time. And I had to find midwives who would take me on because I was like, this is garbage. We can, we have to do, we, women deserve better. Women deserve better. Right. Oh, absolutely. Uh, with my, my twins who mind you were only 11. So only like 11 years ago, I was in the hospital and after having them. And I said to my husband, which I mean, was slurred speech because they were overdosing me on magnesium. Um, and I said to him, like, something's not right here. Something's not right. And the first nurse walked in and was like, everything's fine. And the second one and my, and my, my spouse was like, listen, there is something wrong with her. Like she, she's slurring her speech. She can like, her movements are super slow. Something has happened. And then they look at my IV and they're like, oh yeah, we've been giving you a little too much magnesium for 24 hours. In 24 hours, nobody listened to me. And my spouse did like, he was like, oh yeah, but it got progressively worse. Yeah. And so he's like, there's something wrong with her. It took him speaking up for me, for them to go, oh yeah, there is something wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And sadly, your experience, that is almost every woman I've ever cared for when they've entered, whether, whether it's been for something obstetrical, gynecology, you know, it doesn't matter. You could have gone in for a thyroid issue. Women oh, are I not did. heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, we're not heard. We're not believed, you know, where our, our, our symptoms are considered that it's all in our head. It's all in our mind. We're depressed. It's mental health. You know, we're making it up. You know, these are the experiences of women. Mm-hmm. Um, And, you know, that's so disruptive to our sexuality, because, you know, when you think about the the role that pornography has played in women's lives, and then you think about our healthcare professionals telling us, no, what you're feeling is wrong. No, you don't have that. No, it couldn't be too much magnesium. No, it's not a thyroid issue. What are we constantly told? We can't trust our bodies. Mm -hmm. Our bodies are not vessels for pleasure. Our bodies aren't places for safety. Our bodies aren't places to experience and be in in relationship with people around us are constantly telling us how it's wrong, how we need to do it. You know, sex is performative. Get rid of all that. You know, I hope I I remember as midwives, it was 2010. We were having a practice meeting. We had practice meetings once a month, talk about issues in the practice. And we sat around and we're like, what the hell happened to all the pubic hair? And it was a, it was like a demarcated line in the sand. It was like, you know, big, nice, juicy, fleshy bush, you know, that you're seeing, you know, thousands of women. Yes, good, juicy. And there was always a few that were like, you know, Brazilian. Yeah, we're here for it. We love your body. No need. But after 2010, it was like the line in the sand was drawn. And then it was women would be like, oh, my God, you you can't look at whatever, blah, 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 because I haven't gone to. And we're like man, I'm looking for the big juicy bush and I've just got to go in by like, yeah, knowing like where your body is to get into your vagina to do a check or something. Like I'm not, are you kidding me? That's like healthy, normal women's bodies. But there was a line in the sand where women got like told, oh yeah, your body's now even so gross. You can't even go for a medical exam. Yeah. Gross. I've been there. I've been there. So I will never forget when I decided to start shaving. So I had like, as a teenager, people were talking about the landing strip and stuff. So I had this like little landing strip 
And then my boyfriend in college went to go down on me and he was just like, "Mm -mm." and I was like, what do you mean? "Mm -mm." And he was like, you got to shave that. And I was like, what? And so I did. (laughs) Because I was just like, well, I want to feel like I want to experience that. Yes. Do men get that? No, they could be all hairy and stinky and whatever. (laughs) We're not allowed to say like, oh, dude, you need to trim down there. Like, but we're, we're, our bodies are so controlled all the time. Uh Uh Uh-huh. Whoa. Oh, I hate that story so much, except it just is so emblematic emblematic of this the situation isn't it this is women's experiences over and over and over again yeah so for me you know i just you know and then you know when you're a midwife i mean you are on the outside it doesn't i mean i had privileges at five hospitals you know i was a clinical director at a midwifery school i was you know educating i was an educator and you know i was doing all these things but we were still weird and so it just You know, I think that pathway for me personally, what it did was it made me realize more and more how much I wanted to take responsibility and truly like be wildly and radically in love with my own experience of my sexuality, with my own pleasure, you know, with my own relationship with my body, with, you know, accepting the way my body looked and all the Mm -hmm. things and that everything about this had to be a somatic embodied feeling, not a performative, um, you know, all that kind of stuff, like the landing strip, you know, right now I've got the hairiest armpits on the planet. I spend all summer at my naked beach. What do you think I do? I let the fur coat grow. I love it there, you know, and people think that's when you should shave the most. Right. And, And this is kind of like my, my stance in the world to be like, screw all of your bullshit garbage. You won't let me be an altar boy watch me, you know? And it was like, there was a direct correlation there. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to smash every single rule that you think women have, because I've sat with women and their darkest, most bloodiest, most scariest, most death facing moments, you know, caught yeah. babies and watched them die in their mother's arms. Oh, that's so sad. Uh, yeah, well, no. And I'm like, do you know how incredible we are? Yeah. And I'm like, nobody is ever going to take that from me again. And that was what midwifery did to me. You know, that's was it put amazing. me in? Yeah, yeah. You can't sit at women's feet and watch them do this work, you know, and, and and by this work, I just mean their bodies working in the right way. Yeah. Holy shit. You know, be afraid. Yeah. Right. And I thought if I can like sit and with women and do that, can I extend a tiny bit of that to myself? Right? Yeah. Yeah. And we're so taught not to trust our bodies. Right. So <sighs> I too was a teen mom. I got pregnant at 16. I had her right like two months before my 17th birthday. And I ended up with a C-section and now looking back, I know it was never necessary. So I started contractions one day, like the day before I had her went to the doctor. He was like, these are contractions, but like, you're not dilating, whatever, but we'll bring you to the hospital tomorrow. Cause you're young and you'll probably like, you know, it, you won't really know what you're going through and blah, blah. And we need to monitor you. And I'm like, okay. Cause I'm like 16. Like, what do I know? And my mom of course was never taught. She was a teen mom. She was never taught to trust her body in that manner. And so we go and I'm contracting more and more, but my water hasn't broken, which is fine. Cause now I know I wasn't even dilated enough for that to even be a thing. Okay. Yeah. At the time. 
but they were impatient and they said like, it's not progressing as it should. I now know it was progressing perfectly fine. Some people are in labor for days. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) This can be a thing. And so they broke my water and, and like caused me to, for it to speed, speed up. My daughter got stuck in my pelvic bone. And I truly honestly believe that is because they didn't let my body do what it was supposed to. And so she ended up getting caught and there was pressure building and she was going to break her face if they let me have her. And so I had to have an emergency C-section. And then of course that was like in 2003. So when I went to have my, my next daughter, the hospital I went to didn't do VBACs. And so I had to have another C-section. And so by the time that you go to have your like, well, I had twins three and four, baby three and four, they're not going to do two VBACs. Like that is yep. like super frowned upon. So I'm yep. automatic C-section. Now I have all these complications from my C-section, like all this scar tissue that causes me to have all this pain. It's lovely. And so now knowing and looking back, they didn't allow me to trust my body and to know what was going on with me. And so that set me up for failure for years. Cause like, I was just like, oh, well, these people are professionals. They know more than me what's going on in my body. And now I know is like, no, sometimes they're taught stupid bullshit (laughs) that they don't know. That's why I'm like, I wish midwifery was a thing when I was younger. Like that would be amazing. And I've even heard of midwives being willing to do a VBAC after the first C-section. Yep. Absolutely. You know, and your story is so profound because, you know, as a midwife and doing that work with women, you know, it also gave me that link of understanding that, you know, your experiences with your birth are directly linked to your sexuality. Mm-hmm. They're directly linked to how you feel about your body. They're directly linked to your ability to trust your body. They're directly linked to pain. It's directly linked to pleasure, right? And so I had a baby at 17 and I mean, it was a fairly straightforward birth, but then the aftermath was not great. You know, then I had a miscarriage. I had a fetal demise at 17 weeks. And so this was a rough journey as well. So, you know, when I started my midwifery training, I finally realized how those things are all inexplicably linked, whether people see them that way or not. And I always told people, you know, um, how you had how you have sex is how you're going to give birth and how the baby gets in is how the baby needs to get out right and so this is uh you know doing that work made me really surrender to my own sort of sexuality and the belief I had in my body and and the experience of pleasure you know yeah and we don't think about how sexuality is linked to anything I mean guys they just get to do their thing, right? They just get, you know, but sexuality is so taboo. We don't talk about it. You don't talk about masturbation with people. You don't talk about your sex life with people. No. You don't, that is like, no, 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 no. Like you should, you should be keeping that to yourself. And like the first time you go to talk to another woman about that, like you're either going to get, yes, finally, let's have this conversation. Or you're going to get, no, mm-mm, we are not talking about this today. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, it's such a, it's such a, it's such a sad place for most women, right? Because we feel alone, we feel isolated, mm-hmm. 
you know, we're thinking I'm having these terrible period cramps and I'm going, okay, but can we talk about that then? Because what's going on in your sexuality? Where were you trespassed against? Where were you harmed? What was, did your dad not want a girl and wanted a boy? I mean, these are the kind of questions that I want to ask people about because truly, you know, we aren't these little sort of static beings. We are these, the sum total of our experiences and the people around us and, you know, the lives we've lived and the language we lived and all the, th the weather. I mean, all of those things, you know, go together. And if you think about, to me, you know, our sexuality, when I started to realize as, as a midwife, I think was when I came to the, my true understanding, which is that our sexuality is sacred, right? Mm -hmm. And what does sacred mean? Well, who the hell am I to say? But I want you to think about what that means to you, right? Doesn't matter what I think, who cares? I'm just somebody living in Alberta, you know? Who cares what I think? But what does sacred mean to you? Who are you gonna actually share your body with, you know? And these were the kind of questions that I started to kind of put into my own field and think, okay, what is living here? And how do I wanna carry this sacredness? You know, what happens if I treat my sexuality as sacred? What happens if I teach my, treat my period and my moon time is sacred. Mm -hmm. You know, what happens if the people who I, I choose to share my body with, I actually decide that from a place of sacredness, not of fear, not of lack, not of have mm -hmm. to, not of, you know, justification, not of what's allowed in my family or in my religion or in my community, but what if I actually approached it that way? And, and how, yeah, how are we supposed to know if other people are experiencing it if we don't talk about it, right? Or if, mm -hmm. or to know like, oh, that isn't normal because so-and-so found out that it's not normal. There is something going on, but we don't share that. Right. So like with, you know, your menstrual cycle, like my kids are, my kids are so aware because I talk about it. I don't care. I've talked about it since they were little. Now, of course, in an age appropriate manner, they don't need to know like the gory details, but uh, I mean, now they do because my daughter is getting ready to like, you know, start puberty, but we've talked about it my kids don't bat an eye about it. Like they're yeah. not, you know, making noises or comments about like period products. They have, they watched a video in school about, you know, puberty last year. I had to sign a little form, which I'm like, go ahead. I don't care. Teach them whatever. And they come home and I said, do you have any questions? And they're like, no, you've answered all the questions before. And all these other kids had questions and I'm not here to shame parents, but I'm saying is like, we don't talk about these kids no. things as with our children. And so what does that teach them when they're growing up? And now did you, when you came to your realization um, about your sexuality, did that help you as a parent for all those parents listening? Yeah, a hundred percent, you know, because again, there, it's sort of like we have this weird separation between our sexuality and our parenting. Um, but of course, the only reason your kids are here is because you had sex. Yeah. Well, the only reason that you're here is because your parents had sex and we don't want to talk about that. We're like, whoa, I don't even want to, you know, so many people are like, I don't want to think about my parents having sex. And I'm like, well, I actually hope you are because you want them to be having good, healthy, positive sexual experiences until they're dead. You know, and I have lots of worked with lots of people in their seventies and early eighties talking about their sexuality, talking with people who are palliative, but as a parent, you know, when it's, I mean, and I was a midwife and I homeschooled my kids through that, all those, through those years. And so, I mean, they would be coloring anatomically correct vulvas, you know, they would be modeling uterus and fallopian tubes. And I mean, this was normal in my house. So, um, but building that in as normal, instead of something shameful and afraid, yeah. you know, is the game changer because your kids will are responding to that. And you don't even have to be explicit about a conversation with them. You know, they already know if you're uncomfortable. Think about all the, you know, what all, you know, most 
communication is nonverbal. I think it's 97%. This is the kind of thing that is so powerful. If your kids know that you're actually okay with your body or your sexuality or your period, you know? So the more at peace you can be with yourself, that is gonna help your kids, just hands down. You don't even have to have a big creepy talk about it or about masturbation or whatever, you know, that those, yeah. those no-fly zones that you're afraid to talk to. Cause I remember that, right? There's like, oh man, okay, how's everybody doing today, you know? But there is a peacefulness. The more peaceful we can be with ourselves and our experience of our sexuality, think that yes. that helps our kids immensely immensely I agree completely and and people fail to like want to realize that kids start exploring like that on themselves not other people at a very young age they're like hey what's yes. that I don't know what is that going on down there you know that yes. sort of thing and if you're shaming it and you make them feel bad they're not going to come and talk to you I I found it as a parenting win now I've made a lot of mistakes as a teen mom but I found it a parenting win when my daughter, she was living with her bio dad. It was an experiment of her living with her bio dad that failed miserably. But anyway, she was living with her bio dad and she like called me up and is like, I'm thinking about having sex and wanted to have this whole conversation with me. He wouldn't, he wouldn't even like touch that with a 10 foot pole. And I'm like, we were teen parents here maybe you want to take this seriously. (laughs) Maybe this, but I found it a parenting win that she felt comfortable coming to me and saying this house. And I, I, I was living in Virginia. She was living in New York. So I called up my sister. I'm like, Hey, (laughs) I need you to get your niece and and have conversations with her. And my sister's like, yeah, cool. We can do this. Like, because both of us have kind of like shed what we learned growing up and so I feel like that's a parenting win there but it does it takes a lot of work on our aspect of kind of like unlearning to be able to be there in that way for our children yeah that's a huge win on your part and you know what I would say I would have a curiosity because you know you hear so many men talk about my daughters don't have sex don't get a boyfriend I'll bring a gun around like there's this level of and you know what that does is it actually reinforces that women are objects and chattel Mm -hmm. and uh, you know you know there might not be men who are listening but the truth is is you know challenge that for yourself right because it is scary when we when we start to see those harmful and they're embedded like nobody taught taught your, you know her dad that it's yeah. embedded in the culture around him so much so that she became an artifact to control yeah and so people might be wondering like how did you get comfortable walking around your island naked because most of us can't even imagine <laughs> being in public naked like a public type setting right like somebody can go by in their boat and see you out there naked and most of us are like horrified most of us has in me I'm horrified just thinking about it please enlightening me it's such a good question because it's true like I was again I was not raised on a naked beach I wasn't raised with hippie crunchy parents that were living in a commune you know I had a very I'm going to use the the term normal we can use that questioningly but you know um and I was actually 16 and we were on a family vacation in Hawaii and I knew there was a naked beach over the rocks so I like told my family I was going for a walk and I snuck over for an hour and hung out naked on the beach and I was like holy shit Cause you see uh, all bodies, all bodies on the naked beach. Don't go there looking for certain types of bodies. Cause you're going to see all of them. 
Yes. And I think that's the thing is that idea that there's this only one skinny, white, young. Those are bodies that are acceptable. The rest of us can just, you know, shut up and sit in the back and get covered up, right? And yeah. so it's that idea that all bodies are welcome, all bodies are valuable, right? And it really demystified because that's the, listen, when you're 14, 15, 16, you are really friggin' curious about sex. You're curious about bodies. I haven't seen any penises. Was I having sex yet? I don't remember. It doesn't matter. I didn't see, you know, there was no exposure here for me. I didn't know what bodies look like. And I'm not talking about like sex penises. I'm just talking about a body, you know, there yeah. might've been a diagram in that video at school. Remember that one yeah. in grade seven or whatever, but really, you know, and so there was this level of like, whoa, you know, and I'm telling you, if you want to, if you want to actually blow your mind, go to a beach and actually look at women's bodies. This is most important for women because we are so gaslighted by mainstream media, by television, by commercials, by magazines. We are so gaslit. And you go to a naked beach and you're like, damn, I look good. Look at her, she's got like those big juicy breasts and they're like, you know, the big sagginess under the armpits. And you're like, yeah, and, and they're glorious. There yeah. is nothing gross about those breasts. They are beautiful. And you've got the women with the huge hips and the, just the massive amounts of cellulite and juiciness and you're like, Oh my God, look, I mean, don't, didn't some women pay thousands of dollars to get surgery to look like that? And here these yeah. women are, yeah, let's yeah. talk this through, you know? <laughs> and so you start to realize actually what a normal female body looks like, because we actually don't know what that is. Yeah. There is nothing more powerful than actually sitting around with, naked with a bunch of women, because you're like, oh, this is actually what women's bodies look like, because we have no, no idea. The only yeah. women's bodies available to us are ones that are gross. And so I was already curious. So I went when I was 16 and I was like, I was sold. I'm like, that's it. I'm hooked. Um, then I was married to somebody who was a real cre creeper. He was gross. He was into porn. He loved pornography and, you know, um, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, he couldn't understand why I couldn't have an orgasm when he, when we were having like penis and vagina intercourse, he was so messed up because that's what pornography does to men, right? They don't yeah. understand. Understand I didn't that it's know like for years why I couldn't <laughs> orgasm. It took, it, I'm not with my spouse because I had yeah. come to term with my sexuality by then, but it took me years on why, like, why am I having sex? And this is not fun. And it took my own, like doing my own research and stuff like, oh, well, not all women can orgasm just by penis inserted into vagina. Other things have to happen sometimes too. Yeah. And the research on that is less, let's just be really crystal clear on this, because I love the evidence and the research. It's, le it's around 27% of women will orgasm with a penis in a vagina kind of a sex kind of act. But that's the act that we all think is normal. Yep. And so after I'd been with this really sexually abusive partner, I was like, uh, you know, I, I met my current husband, which was, a. if you want to ask me about that, you can ask me about that. How much time do we have? But um, <laughs> I, I met my current husband and he was also incredibly body positive and was just filled with compassion and he wasn't into porn and he wasn't into objectification. And I mean, are you going to find that people are beautiful or attractive? Of course, we're just humans, but why are you putting any energy into that? If you put all of that beautiful, loving sexual energy into your lover, oh man, it is going to be hot for life. You know, yeah. why are you objectifying Brad Pitt or George Clooney? I'm, that's how old I am. I think it's Jason 
Momoa? Is that a guy? Is that a person? Yes, Jason Momoa <laughs> is one of the ones right now. He's the one with the really long, dark hair and like the tattoos and stuff. I don't know. Um, he's a little too muscly for me. I actually like fluffy guys. Um, I always have. My mom called me a chubby chaser when I was younger Aww. because all of the guys I was interested in were like fluffy. They weren't like yeah. stacked. Like, oh, I don't know, fluffy guys sweet. were nicer. <laughs> Oh, I love I that. like them with a little padding on. So yeah. that's just my type of, you know, dude. Really and my type of girl is different. Like, you know, <laughs> it's just, there's certain types where you're like more attracted to, but I feel like, you know, society convinces us it has to be like this muscly, like beautiful GQ type guy. And in, in all reality, if you just let your mind open up, you know, it's probably... You know, you're like, oh, that's nice to look at, but I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. It is funny, right? Because we're not actually born being knowing what's attractive. It's actually embedded in us. And probably what, you know, what we consider finally attractive is because we've had some incredible experience with a human um, in that level. And that sort of lays down this platform of like, oh, yeah, my body goes, oh, my God, that was so magnificent. You know, I think I, because we don't know what attraction is. Nobody knows what's what's beautiful and what's not. That's something that's cultural, right? It's cultural. I used to joke all the time. I'm too skinny. If, if you'd met me 100 years ago, I would have been too skinny mm-hmm. and nobody would have liked me because I couldn't have had babies. I mean, I was just too skinny and ugly, sickly, Ooh, you know, gross, you know, and it's important to know that, you know, because again, we think, oh, something wrong with me. Um, But yeah, so we, you know, once my husband and I were together now, we've been together for over 20 years now. I mean, and we were just like, we got married on a naked beach. We bought our little summer cottage on a naked beach. We raised our kids on the naked beach because we were thought, we're not screwing this up. You know, and the kids can have their own relationship here, but I don't want my kids to actually have to know what bodies look like from porn. Gross, gross. And I don't certainly don't want my daughters thinking, this is what women look like. That's not mm-hmm. w- women don't look like that. That's less right. than 1% of women actually look like that. It's true. It's true. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm of the age where Euro trip came out. And if anybody has watched it, you know, naked beach is not just all these <laughs> hot young things walking around. It is. That was my first time seeing like a naked beach. Like they portrayed it. I don't even think, I don't even know if it was an actual naked beach. But like you're seeing all sorts of kind of bodies in this movie. And I remember people talking about how gross it was, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, but I think that's actually what it's like. Like people just, and, and my grandparents actually had friends who were in a nudist colony and they like really, I mean, they went and visited them. Of course, like, you know, like it's okay if people wear clothes, if you want to wear clothes, yeah. it's fine. You don't have to get naked, but they it kind of, they said it opened their eyes because it wasn't sexualized like you think it is where everybody's like having sex and touching each other and like it is just people with like that's what people think Uh, it's just people with like regular bodies walking around not giving a crap like I mean maybe wear an apron when you're cooking the bacon but like otherwise (laughs) just normal bodies just people walking around just doing normal things I love it. I it, this is what's so true about that. It's so bizarre. Like how like how did naked get equated to sex? I, I mean, it's just 
no, you have to wash your body. You have to take care of it when you go to the bathroom. You know, you've got to deal with that ingrown hair. You, I mean, there are things that, that caring for our body that has to be done. But the only time we have, we think about that is we think medical exam, you know, I had a poop, so I got to clean that up yeah. or sex. And it's like, that's not the only three ways you could interact with your body, but okay. I'm glad that we've, you know, sort of told everybody that that's it, you know, so yeah. you, you know, being in a naked beach is just that you're just normal at the beach without Don't clothes. Beach things. Yeah. I mean, and who, I mean, what woman in her right mind, I'm just going to put this out there. Who really wants a wet, soggy sandbox in your crotch all day? It's disgusting. Right? You want a nice, cool labia, just like flapping in the wind, drying it off get the sandy bits out and you're just like a happy gal you're a happy happy gal you know <laughs> yeah I mean I mean in this whole conversation we could probably talk for a very long time about this but we're limited on time um is you know people our, our bodies need to be normalized women are constantly told what you can do what you can't do what you're supposed to look like how is that supposed to and I'm like oh my gosh I don't know a single friend of mine and most in pretty much all my friends are in their thirties is like, that has got like the quote unquote, like perfect body. We all got rolls, We got cellulite. We got a little junk in the trunk. Maybe like we got it, all different body types. None of my friends look exactly the same. They all have different body types. And that's cause that's how bodies come. That is the perfect body. That yeah. is the perfect body. And that's the narrative that, you know, I want people to feel, you know, I want people to know that, you know, and again, it's, that's why naked beaches are so incredible, especially for women. It blows. I have so many women that I'll take to the naked beach with me and they're like, I'm not getting naked. And I'm like, you don't have to. Next thing you know, they're naked, butt naked, running in the water. I'm like, what the, what happened here? And they, because they actually can feel the feeling of actually my body is friggin' awesome. I look good. And yeah. by look good, I don't mean skinny. I don't mean no cellulite. I don't mean like you got a nipple pointing down and one pointing under your armpit. Yeah, bring it. Yeah. Hairy bush, no bush. God, awesome. One, maybe you don't even have a breast. I've seen women with double mastectomies, you know, about yeah. cancer. Bring it. Big old juicy cellulite, stretch marks, uh, different bodies because they've gained lots of weight and lost lots of weight. These are healthy, normal bodies. This is what bodies are. We have yes. to smash that for women. It wrecks us. It just destroys us. I love your story, Nadine. And I, like I said, I feel like we could talk about this for a long time. I say this a lot on the podcast. I'm like, we could go hours on this conversation here. Yeah. So if you ever want to come back on, you send me an email. But um, we do have to wrap it up. What would you like to leave the Inspired Women audience with? Mm -hmm. <sighs> that, you, you know... Your body is friggin' amazing. I have sat at the feet of women and watched what our bodies can do. Do not let anybody tell you that they are not awe-inspiring, magical vessels of brilliance. That's number one. And number two, your body is friggin' perfect. I love that. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you so much, Megan, for having me. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.